Welcome to the Spirit Sisters podcast. My name is Karina Machado and I'm the author of Spirit Sisters, Women's True Stories of the Paranormal. In this podcast, I'll revisit the women behind my most unforgettable stories and unearth new tales to chill, intrigue, astound and offer hope. You'll hear first-hand accounts of ghostly visitors, near-death experiences, premonitions, hauntings and love more powerful than death. Whatever you believe about the afterlife, I invite you to open your minds and hearts as ordinary women reveal their extraordinary encounters. Hello again, everybody, and thank you so much for tuning in to Spirit Sisters, the podcast. I'm your host, Karina Machado, and I really hope you're all safe and well, especially in light of the challenging times we are experiencing right now all around the world, as many of us are self-isolating to try and halt the spread of this coronavirus. On that note, I realise that podcasts will begin to play an even more important role in people's lives and with that in mind, I'm aiming to get back on track with fortnightly episodes of Spirit Sisters for you. It's always a time issue for me, but this is definitely a priority for me now and certainly there's no shortage of amazing women who are willing to generously share their stories with us. So look out for some wonderful interviews coming up in the next few months. Speaking of wonderful interviews, of course, I've got one of those for you in just a moment. But before we get into that episode, I'd like to let you know about a couple of things. Firstly, my website, karinamachado.com, has had a much-needed revamp. Now you can find both my podcasts there, and that's so handy, of course, and you can get in touch with me through there as well. So if you've got a moment, please pop over and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Also, a little reminder about the 10th anniversary edition of my book, Spirit Sisters. It's available at shops and online now. So if you want to know about the book that started it all, you might want to check it out. And of course, let me know what you think. I always love to hear your feedback and your thoughts. Now to today's episode. My guest is Lisa, a school teacher who lives in a small community in Outback, Queensland in Australia. Lisa has been having experiences since she was little more than a baby, but up until now she's been very careful about who she shares those experiences with, and she rarely does so. So our conversation is a bit of a treat, from a recurring dream that she had as a toddler that may hint at a past life, to a confronting encounter years later with the spirit of a young acquaintance who'd taken her own life. Lisa, who describes herself as a bit of a sceptic, has a treasure trove of fascinating stories and insights for us. Wait till you hear her story about the haunted apartment in London that led her to flee Hollywood style. It's fantastic. Please remember that if you need support at any point, you can contact Lifeline in Australia on 13 11 14. Now, settle in for my conversation with the intriguing Lisa. Hello, Lisa, and welcome to Spirit Sisters. Hi, Karina. Thanks for having me. It's really lovely to have you. Now, let's begin with um, you sharing a little about yourself and your life, please. Sure. My name is Lisa and I um, am 34 years old. I um, have lived in Australia my whole life, largely lived in Queensland, did a short stint in London. I'm a teacher 
And um, yeah, I've just had a few experiences that I thought um, would be worthwhile sharing with, with you and your listeners. That's wonderful to know. And I do know that you're a regular listener of this podcast as well as The Ghost Files, my other podcast about true encounters with the quote-unquote paranormal, although, Lisa, these days I'm feeling that it's less paranormal and more just normal. And what was it about listening to these accounts that inspired you to reach out to me? Uh, I've always been um, a bit of a sceptic, but I have had my own experiences. So I think I was looking for probably some answers and some familiarity um, with other people's stories. And I just heard a couple of people talk about um, a few things that really resonated with me and what I've experienced. And I just became more and more interested in in sharing. Um, I've never really... I've never really sort of wanted to share too much in the past just because I wasn't sure how people would respond. Um, you just never know, you know, with this sort of, with particularly with this topic, how people will respond. But um, I just thought, you know, this was a good platform to sort of start maybe, yeah, just reaching out. And if my story or my experiences, you know, resonated with any of your listeners, then, yeah, it'd be great to sort of get in touch with those people and, and share. Yeah, and that was something that was quite lovely and unusual about your reaching out to me. And we've we've had a conversation already where we've gone through the just the basics of your story. And I loved that about this offer of yours, you know, because one of the things that I guess appeals to me the most about this work that I do, and it began with with my first book, Spirit Sisters, which was published you know, more than a decade ago now. And it was that feedback that I was getting from readers about how now they feel less alone. There's a sense of community there. And I love that you're sort of taking it one step further by then inviting those listeners to have that conversation with you directly as well. I think that's wonderful. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, hopefully, um, hopefully this is just just the beginning And so, Lisa, we have a lot to cover. You have been having experiences from the tiny age of two and three, which is astonishing because I can't remember a thing from that (laughs) age. And and I don't think, I think it's, it's an anomaly to remember anything at all from that age. But I guess that when you're talking about sort of spiritual experiences or otherworldly, whatever we want to call them, there's a different kind of form of memory in a way, a different time and space sensibility. So tell us, what do you recall from being the age of two or three? I do have really sort of vivid memories of of dreams that I've had. And to be honest, sometimes I'm not sure whether they were dreams or whether they were real. Um, I have spoken to my mum about some of the things that I remember and she she can't even really remember whether that's it was factual or not. So I've had a I've had a lot of a lot of dreams that yeah, sort of have connected me to, you know, sort of different experiences. And I remember one dream in particular of just a, and and I've had this dream over and over again, and I can still remember it vividly, um, a different time, sort of like a a Victorian-esque time where I'm standing in front of like, almost like what looks like a bougainvillea. And I know that it's me, but I'm an adult. And yeah, just like connecting with me but maybe in another time you know that sort of image has come up time and time again through like deja vu experiences so you know there's a lot of bougainvillea around you know 
Queensland, so where I live, um, particularly in outback Queensland. And, you know, every time I see it, it brings me back to that, you know, how I felt in that moment, just this real sense of wonder. And and that that dream would have happened really, really early on for me when I was still living, you know, my first experience living in outback Queensland, which was somewhere between the ages of yeah, probably birth and um, five years old. Okay. Can you tell us a bit more about that dream? So it's a re- it sounds like it's a recurring dream that began when you were a baby. What do you remember? Did you say that you saw yourself as an adult in the dream? Yeah, I knew that it was that it was me, and I connected with that. And I don't know how a child connects with with that idea, but I did. And it was just me looking up. I was I was looking up in wonder at this. It was sort of like a a really tall wall of of like bougainvillea and vines. It was beautiful and green. It was it was heavenly actually. Like that's sort of how I look at it. And that memory gives me a lot of peace. Like I always go back to it and I think think about how um, peaceful it was, how beautiful I found everything around me. And how I was just in this sort of state of of wonder. But yeah, the thing that I suppose that gets me the most about having a dream like that is that, you know, when you are so young and when you st- you, you're not sort of even sure of who you are yet or, you know, you don't really understand life or spirituality or anything like that, how a, a young person can make such a connection and how it can, you know, recur throughout your life um, so vividly. I guess that that's always really fascinated me, and I've had you know other other dreams as well that I can remember from that time. So I would have been very young, and they still sort of pop up every now and then, and and sort of yeah, give me like a sense of peace and yeah, and a definite sense of deja vu and connection. And so, were you actually seeing yourself as an adult man or woman? Could you see that person that you were in this other? space in this other realm whatever we want to call it back in Victorian days yeah and I don't even know if it was Victorian it was just more so just ethereal like it was very you know I was wearing a very sort of whimsical gown you know my hair was up you know there were curls sort of around my face nothing like what I actually look like in adulthood now I've got very straight hair like you know I'm not I'm not tall or whimsical or anything like that but this person in the dream who was me was and um I didn't like I I only really can remember the profile of the face and the, the the sense the sensation of looking up and just being in wonder and awe of this beautiful sort of like bougainvillea wall and there were other people around me but I can't sort of remember who they were or I like I don't recognize any of them but I recognize myself in that moment I just find that fascinating yeah it is fascinating and I think what's also fascinating is that the you in that time seems to have been having a moment of connection with and reverence for whatever the grand mystery is that created that beautiful bougainvillea. It's like a moment of unity and somehow that moment continues to ripple out into your current life. Yeah, it's a beautiful memory because, you know, in in adulthood it, it is hard sometimes to find peace and every now and then 
the memory does come up, you know, because of the bougainvillea plants and, you know, and those sorts of things that exist around me, it, it comes up and it, and it just, it does, it just allows me to, to go back to that moment and experience that, you know, that sense of wonder. So it is a nice memory and a nice moment from my childhood. It is definitely beautiful and I often feel that a sense of wonder is what's missing from modern life and it's probably a whole other episode. But (laughs) um, Lisa, what were some of you mentioned that you, that wasn't the only recurring dream that you would have from a very young age. Were the other dreams also, you know, we could speculate other lives that you've lived? Look, I don't, I don't know. There's, there's one that I remember vividly that, wasn't whimsical it was sort of I think at the time it was quite scary but it was just about like a a stamp collection that I had and one of the old school stamp collections that you know the wooden stamps that you dip in the ink and then you put on the page and you know those stamps were sort of dancing around and you know sort of taunting me and that kind of thing so that was more like just a childhood dream but it it has like I remember it even now so vividly and I would have only been yeah like I said somewhere between the ages of birth and four or five years old so that always comes back to me I can't really remember any sort of any other sort of whimsical sort of otherworldly dreams that I had at the time just really vivid recurring dreams that you know I'm sure that you know, some people have those um, those childhood dreams that they remember, but most of the time we forget our dreams. I've just got these these really, you know, this set of sort of dreams and memories from that time that are so vivid, and I uh, they pop into my head every now and then. I don't I don't know what they mean, and I don't know where they've come from, but yeah, it's just amazing that I can still remember them and that they're still there. And so do you continue to have these dreams today? For instance, the one of the lady, do you still dream of her? I would say that I don't I don't dream of her. The only the only memory that I have of her is the the initial dream. I've never seen her again in any other dreams that I've had, but I, I do I do continue to have very vivid dreams. And I'm finding the older I get, the harder it is to hold on to that you know as soon as you wake up the feeling is there that yeah. the feeling of I've I met someone in my dream last night or you know I I know that something important happened I had a beautiful dream the other night that I was at my grandfather's house he's just recently passed away he had a a, a long and you know lovely life and in his house he's got some you imagine an old style like 60s or 70s um, house I'm pretty sure it was built in the 70s and there's like every wall is covered in different wallpaper with different patterns there's a a variation of tiles with different patterns and from a very young age I've always assigned like personalities to like these things so in the shower there are tiles that look like people even Mm -hmm. though they're just patterns you know they look like people and so they're all like they've all got their own sort of personality and it only just occurred to me recently that I probably walked out of that house for the last time a couple of months ago and I didn't really appreciate that that I was leaving that behind. So I had a dream about I remember waking up and thinking, oh, my God, why didn't I do that? In the dream, someone was telling me to take photos of all of the different tiles and the different patterns of the wallpaper in the house. In the dream, I was 
telling my, you know, someone was telling me or I was telling myself, or I don't know, that you really need to capture all of these different tiles that, you know, you've created these beautiful memories and personalities for, otherwise they'll be lost to you. And when I woke up, I thought, I wonder if I'll ever get that opportunity. It's just a really amazing sort of, it, it left me with a sense of, a little bit of, I suppose, a sense of loss almost that I, I hadn't appreciated that, you know, I didn't take the time to really take it in, you know, one last time. I'm going to backtrack again back to your your childhood. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about your family situation? Were Did you have siblings? Yeah, I've got one brother. He's five years younger than me. And my mum and dad, I lived uh, in a household with them until I was about 17 or 18 and then I left home. Okay. So so you were telling us about the dreams that you first remember from the age of, you know, two or three. What happened next in terms of your awareness or your your expanded awareness, which is when I think of you, I think of that term expanded awareness, because mm. you would go on to experience some things that, as you described to me, made you feel like a very scared child for most of your childhood. Could you take us from from those dreams and your toddlerhood to what happened next and how you went on to find fear? See, my family and and you know, my immediate family, even my extended family, uh, we're all just very sort of normal. And I don't like, don't really like using that word, but we're, you know, normal in the sense of, you know, no one ever really talks about like, you know, spiritual sort of dealings or anything like that. Dad, I think my dad has a, has had a few experiences himself and we acknowledge that, that these things may have happened, but there's also that sort of, I don't know what you'd call it, like, you don't sort of want to get too deep into it just in case people might start to think that you're a little bit, you know, people associate craziness or that sort of thing with this. Yeah. And I think there's that taboo. It's a taboo topic because you you feel uncomfortable about getting too deep into it just in case. You don't want people to think or to judge you based on your experiences. So we've always, I think that I come from a family who, who've always acknowledged that there might be something. And, you know, my, as I said before, my dad's had a couple of experiences himself and he's open about those, but also, you know, in the whole scheme of, you know, what we discuss it, it's never really sort of, it, it hasn't been one of the most important or a priority as such of discussion. For some reason, I just, I've always been really afraid as a child. Like I just had a real fear of, I remember always having a sense that there might be something there, that there might be someone watching me. I remember every time there was like, you know, a death, for example, when my grandmother's dog died, I just remember as a child just being really like afraid that I would see the dog or that the dog would present itself or that, and the dog, like the dog was, it was a really friendly, lovely dog. So I had nothing to fear, but I always Maybe I always just had a sense that there was a possibility that if I wanted to see something, I might see it or or I always felt the need to maybe stop or avoid seeing anything. I'd always, you know, I've and I've always steered clear of any sort of thrillers, supernatural movies, anything like that, because I had enough of of that sense in me already and yeah, I think just just throughout my childhood, just having those those prickly feelings or the you know the feeling of you know someone's here or you know I can I could feel something, but it do, it didn't ever really sort of 
it didn't come to a head until I had moved out of home. So I'd always had that sensory kind of that sensory connection to things, you know, the thoughts, the dreams, the that real sort of, you know, looking over my shoulder, like yeah. seeing something and then sort of telling myself that there's nothing there or but yeah, things kind of amped up when I was about probably 18, I'd say, when I sort of left home and maybe left that the comfort of or that protective sort of, you know, having mum and dad there and my, you know, my brother, like, yeah, I think I, I think I slept in the same bed as my brother. He would hate me saying this, but I was, he's five years younger than me, but I would have been about 12 or 13. Like I just, I just could never, I was just, I just always needed somebody there. And Lisa, you would always, sorry, not always, you would often see your classmates auras in school assembly is that right yeah yeah it was I didn't know what an aura was I didn't really know until you know later on but I remember being in primary school like sitting at assembly and you know you just kind of as a kid you don't really sort of you're not taking much in I think you're sort of more just looking around and you know watching the crowd so that I knew that there were there were things going on on the stage and sometimes I'd just sort of turn my head back and there was just these, you know, beautiful glowing sort of colours around people on the stage. And so I'd, I'd sort of develop this habit of just really staring at people and really focusing in because of because I wanted to see the colours that were around them. And I saw a lot of like, I saw a lot of bright yellow and sort of like greens and things like that around people and I don't, I don't even know what that, what that symbolises or represents, but there was always a lot of colour. And I thought at the time, that's pretty cool, because I was only, you know, I was probably, well, I was in primary school, so I would have been younger than 12 or 12 and under. And yeah, I just, it was just something that I liked to do, just, just stare and see the colours. But I didn't understand what that really meant until, you know, much later on. That was interesting. Until- your mum and dad about being able to see the colours around people? I can't remember ever sort of having a conversation with them about about that. I, I don't think I thought that it was that it was extraordinary or that it was I just thought it must have been just something that maybe other people were seeing too. I don't know. And maybe yeah. other people were seeing it, but I just sort of just enjoyed, you know, watching the colours sort of dance around people and yeah, and then, you know, when, when I blinked and sort of came back to, oh, yep, okay, assembly's over, it was gone. So, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I didn't really, I don't think I really ever thought it was important enough to sort of share with other people or anything. I have um, interviewed at least one other person who reports a very similar childhood experience. His name's Chris and his mum is also incredibly gifted in these, you know, being able to see auras and being able to sense spirit. So, yeah, so I have heard that before, but I wonder if you still see the auras today. I do still see, I don't see the the vivid colour that I saw when I was younger. I do still see a glow around people, but it's not, it's not as colourful as what it was when I was younger. I don't know whether that's because maybe my my innocence has been you know taken you know when you're a child you sort of you see things and you wonder about things but yeah as an adult I definitely see glow around people 
And, you know, it's when I'm sort of sitting down and just, you know, talking to people or, you know, sitting outside with people and it just sort of appears around them. So I don't know whether that's aura or whether that's something else, but it, it definitely lacks the vibrancy that it had when I was a child. Okay, so let's go into the so the more unsettling experiences that you began to have as as a teen, late adult, almost an adult when you left home. So what happened and what effect did these experiences have on you? I've never really seen like I've never had sort of my eyes open being sort of in I guess reality and seen a ghost or anything like that. It's it's it all happens quite differently for me, so it's more of if I am awake it's a, a feeling and an urgency around me. If I'm asleep, yeah, like people come to me. So it's it's a, yeah, it's a different sort of way of experiencing things, I guess. But I had been having almost like seizures in my sleep. I'd been having seizures. I'd been having like sleep paralysis. I'd been feeling pressure on my chest. I'd And I'd been experiencing this for quite a while. And I just thought, you know, what's wrong with me? Like something's wrong with me. You know, I'm, I don't know what it is. I was, I was very scared. I remember feeling really scared. I probably put up with that for at least 12 months. There were times where I would be having, I would say waking up upwards of, you know, at least 10 times a night out of a seizure. I think the seizures came because when, when people experience sleep paralysis, and I know um, a lot of your listeners, from what I can gather, have experienced, you know, something like, like this before, you feel you're very scared because you're, you're, you're awake, like you know what's going on, you, you're seeing things, but you also know that you're not awake. So it's a very, it's a, it's being in limbo in the worst kind of way. And I think my body, how it would try and sort of bring me back from this was, Either I'd stop breathing and then I would I would wake up just completely out of breath, you know, just terrified, or I would have a seizure. I I ended up deciding to seek medical help because I thought, well, you know, again, that word crazy, like I'm either going crazy or something medically is wrong with me. And, you know, I'm a fairly sort of logical person. You know, I like to you know, stay on track and, you know, try and I was teaching at the time. So I thought maybe this has something to do with just stress or, you know, whatever. And so I went to see a doctor. The doctor did a um, sleep deprivation test on me, tested me for things like epilepsy, ran ran quite a number of tests, um, bloods, etc. And everything came back fine. What he ended up saying was that it sounds like you have something called hypnagogia. I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, yes. Like a, a sleep issue. And yeah, it can in, I can't remember if that's going into sleep or out because there's hypnagogic and hypnopompic, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but yeah. one is one is hallucinations, so that well, quote unquote hallucinations that you yeah. see when you're going into sleep, and the other one is when you have those experiences coming out of sleep. So I can't remember which one yours applies to, but yeah. I have determined. Sure. Yeah, it was this was back in um 2008 when I was diagnosed with that. But I'll just backtrack if I can, just yeah. to what really spurred me into getting support. So when I was I was actually working at the time and one of my I wasn't teaching actually I was a teacher in training so I also had a part-time job as well 
at the time I had a colleague who I was working with just at my at my part-time job and um, she was an identical twin and I had met her sister very briefly I think I'd only met her maybe once or twice you're young and you're sort of going out to clubs and pubs and things like that you sort of you know you flip from one group to another to another so I had met her at least once that I can recall and very sadly her sister her identical twin committed suicide and I remember just feeling just horrible for her I just thought you know how how tragic and you know we all sort of tried to support her at work as much as possible and and I remember it was a really difficult time but the thing that really spurred me into action into getting some support you know some medical support was that one night when I was when I was sort of drifting off to sleep I I kept like I was think I was obviously thinking about that situation and then I remember just sort of I was in that sort of I'd fallen into that sleep paralysis sort of I knew that I was I, but I was still awake so I I sleep paralysis is like it's a hard thing to describe but yeah. like my eyes were my eyes were closed you know in a sense that if someone had have walked into my room they would have thought I was asleep but the way that things were happening in my reality was that my eyes were open and I couldn't move and I couldn't speak and and that sort of thing so I was just basically laying there powerless and this my colleague's identical twin just flashed before me and she was just begging me for for support for help she was asking me to speak to her sister for her she was asking me you know basically telling me you know that you can do this for me I need you to get a message to my sister you know like those sorts of things and I was I my I remember my brain was just searing with pain because I was really resisting this I was like no 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 I cannot help you no I don't want to help you so I've always been very resistant to anything that I've ever seen in these moments and I think that the the searing pain in my brain and the <clears throat> the um, loss of breath and the the seizures come from that resistance and that fear she was there you know plain as day in my reality she was there she was talking to me begging me for help I knew who she was and I and I resisted her and I came out of that um, in a seizure, quite a, like a significant sort of seizure and I just could not, I just avoided going back to sleep and that's when that same week I went and, yeah, sought that medical help and was diagnosed with this hypnagognia but I don't know, all that really gave me was an opportunity to get some strategies around how to fall asleep without fear. So at that time, you know, just doing it, strategies like self-talk, breathing, you know, that kind of thing, it didn't really give me anything other than that. There was no sort of concrete reason as to why I was, you know, seeing people, speaking to people, resisting people, you know, people that I didn't know coming to me in my sleep, you know, that sort of thing. It was all just a mystery to me still. Some little band-aids to put on top. But um, if I can just unpack it a little bit because it sounds like this instance with the young woman who's taken her own life, it wasn't the first moment of somebody coming to you, you seeing people in your sleep. It sounds like almost the culmination of a whole bunch of 
events that this was kind of the moment that led you to seek help. So can you tell us a bit about what you'd experienced prior? And I am assuming it's in that same league, people asking for your help, people coming to you? Yeah, um, people just appearing, you know, whether it was like as in when I say physically, I mean in their whole form, you know, beside my bed or standing there. I remember having conversations with people so my reality, again, with this sleep paralysis, my reality was I'm laying there I'm and I'm speaking to someone who's who's in my room or or I'm speaking to sometimes it would it would just be like a person's name or a face in my mind that I've, you know, never seen before, never heard before coming to me and me saying, no, please, like I, I'm not the right person to help you, this you know, this is not my job, like I don't want to do this. So there was lots of resistance. I mean, I suppose to anyone who was looking at me sleeping, you know, if if anyone was to come in, I've always often wondered what it might look like because, I, you know, no one's ever sort of, sort of seen me. I think my brother saw me once come out of a, I don't know if you'd call it like um, sleep paralysis or a hypnagogic state or something, and it was quite sort of, like a scary sort of like a, you know, the breathlessness and the like the sort of convulsing, you know, that kind of thing. That's very interesting. I think as you're speaking, I'm thinking of somebody I've interviewed on the show. Her name's Faith and she had a profound yeah. near experience where one component of it involved her, she was in a coma and yep. during this time that she was in the coma, if you were to walk into the hospital room and look at her, you would just mm-hmm. see a person seemingly asleep or in a coma but what was going on in her reality, she seemed to have been in some other dimension that, you know, yeah. most of us can't access. And I wonder if there's a parallel with your experience, but she she was having a tussle with these, for want of a better term, demonic nurses who were trying to harm her and lead her away. But again, if you'd walked into the room, you just would have seen a woman lying in a hospital bed in intensive care surrounded by tubes. So. Yeah. It's almost this idea that we can speculate that you have access, as Faith did, to mm-hmm. other dimensions or or one other dimension in particular where these perhaps we can say that these spirit people are coming to you and asking for your help. Yeah, possibly. I mean, that's, that's you know, again, my healthy scepticism. Like that's certainly one thing I, I think, you know, is, is there something – um, and I guess that's why I'm here talking to you because of the unknown. You know, is is this something that other people experience? Is it something that I need to sort of try harder with, or is it something that is just a you know an experience associated with like a, a medical condition? So I'm, I'm in though I'm in that sort of what actually is going on here. Wondered you know whether there was something else, and I don't want to write off the possibility of there being you know, like a spiritual scenario happening because, you know, we just don't know what's going on out there really. We don't. And the other thing that strikes me as interesting regarding your story is that 
Very often, and I'm not an expert in sleep paralysis, but back when I wrote Spirit Sisters, I did interview a sleep expert, a doctor who specialised in sleep disorders. But my understanding with with hallucinations that people see within sleep paralysis is that they're often absolutely terrifying. They're like a a conglomeration of every scary movie we've ever seen or, you know, scary scene you can imagine. My sister, for instance, had one where she saw a, a, a person wielding a big knife coming towards her and you know that kind of thing whereas yours seem to follow a particular pattern where they're not monsters you know they are people yeah is it right to say Lisa that they look like normal people and they're just asking for your help is that the general pattern yeah there's never been any um sort of demonic like attribute or anything like that it's they're just people you know people's faces people people standing there just normal looking people I've like I said I sort of I've avoided as much as I can you know thrilling sort of scary yeah movies so I've never really had any of those kind of axe wielding demonic you know dreams or experiences before it's always been yeah very very normal people just sort of almost in like desperately asking for support so did you ever recognise any of these people? I only recognised um, my friend's sister. I can't say I've ever recognised anybody else. They're, I mean, sometimes they tell me their name and the name, you know, stay might stay with me for a couple of days or, you know, it might still be with me, but I don't recognise the name. Yeah, it's it's really, really strange because I wonder why me, why... Mm-hmm. If I don't know you personally or if I'm, yeah, if I if I don't recognise you, then why would it be me? My understanding there, again, and it's just based on interviewing many people over, you know, more than a decade, is that we, as in people that have abilities of expanded awareness, we could call it mediumship, we could call it psychic abilities and all of the above, that they are said to shine like a beacon to the spirit world and even if you didn't know the person in this lifetime they will see you and come to you there's a story that comes to mind after I'd finished writing spirit sisters the phone my phone rang and I had I had put my phone number in various newspapers and things trying to get people to send me their stories all all those years ago and it was a lady and and she was an elderly lady and she said oh I just saw your ad and I wanted to tell you what happened to me and she said that she woke up in the middle of the night and there was a little boy standing there who was I won't say his name, but a very um, high-profile child disappearance case. And he was standing there and he said to her, please tell my mother it's all over now. It's all over now and I'm okay. And the lady said, why me? And he said, because you're the only one I could get through to. Yeah, right. And the lady told me that story and the book was already going to press, so I couldn't add it in. But then I think in one of my subsequent books I wrote about it. But it's that idea that they there's something about you shines and that they see you and we're going to go on and talk about because you're a very compassionate person yeah flesh (laughs) sort of funny stories around around how people pick up on your compassion here in the earth (laughs) and it's almost a sense of that innate compassion of yours reaching out beyond our dimension our our world but it's interesting to me Lisa that it seems like at no point 
throughout this period where you're re- receiving these visitors, for want of a better term, again, you didn't you didn't consider a spiritual cause for what you were experiencing. Is that right? I think because of my scepticism, it was really hard for me to acknowledge that that might be what was going on. And I, I to be honest, I really wanted it to be medical. I just really wanted there to be a simple, okay, this is the problem and this is how we fix it. So then, you, you know, I could go on and just live a normal life, normal again in inverted commas, normal life. I think I have a very, I, I am fearful of that kind of, you know, that spiritual realm and I'm, I'm very interested in it and I'm invested in it. Like I do, like I said, I, you know, I, I listen to your podcasts and I, I'm really interested. I read a lot of stories about, about it, but I never thought that, like it never, it never felt comfortable to me to be that, that person. But I've, I don't know, I've, but I've always, maybe I've always had a sense of knowing that there was something about me or my experience that was familiar to these other experiences and that's why I took an interest in it. Yes. But I, I definitely didn't want it, put it that way. It wasn't something that I that I ever really wanted. It's not something that I've ever that I've ever sort of followed up in a sense. So and you're not yeah. alone in that either. You're certainly yeah. alone in that. And I've interviewed plenty of, of women who report experiences similar to yours and, and their inner resistance that is very strong and like yours, yours is very strong as well. And I'm thinking of one lady in particular who's in in my first book, and she she's a nurse, and she would see she would have incredible experiences. She would see the the late loved ones waiting around her patients' beds, just sitting mm-hmm. there waiting for them, and that was sort of the most happy part of the experiences that she would have. But she would also just be at home with her three sons and her husband, and she'd suddenly see this little spirit of a Victorian boy in his breeches, his long socks, his curls, and he's begging her for help, begging, begging. And she'd be just boiling the kettle and he'd appear, you know. And then she would say, I don't know how to I don't know how to help you. Don't come to me. There's somebody out there who can help you. Eventually he stopped. Do you think it's be- you resist because of the unknown of how your life may change if you were to perhaps say to them, okay, how do you want me to help you? What can I do? Like yeah. what would happen? There's a lot to think about there, isn't there? Yeah, and I've like I've I've actually been to um to psychics. I, I actually really enjoy going to psychics, and and I've been to a couple of palm readers as well. And just because I have that healthy sort of scepticism, I think I I enjoy hearing and experiencing what those people have to say and how they deliver a message. But those people have always said to me, you do know that you can do this yourself or you do know that you have this gift. And I'm not like, surprised to hear that. <laughs> yeah, and I've always sort of said, I don't, like, no, I don't think so. Maybe deep down I, I do know. I think it's fear, definitely. I think it's just like I think that if I ever did see someone sort of appear before me in, in, my, in my sort of awake state, I think that I would really, I think that would really frighten me. And, you know, even I, there have even been instances where I've just been, just say I'm in the shower, like doing like, again, something really mundane and something will pop into my head 
and I will say, you know, just out loud to no one. For example, my grandmother, whom, like, I love dearly and just, you know, we had a, a lovely relationship, but I would say out loud, you know that I don't want to see you. I love you, but I don't want to see you. Just I don't even know why I say it. It just happens. It just I. It's almost like I can feel it coming, so I just say, no, I don't want to see you. I love you, but that that's it. So it's just a strange, like it, it's fear, I think, for sure, that yeah. that holds me sort of back from even considering something like that and also maybe just a fear of losing a sense of, I don't know, maybe just normality in life. Like if my life had one other thing like that that I was dealing with, that maybe it would make things difficult and challenging in other ways or my compassion might be like I might feel too you know, like, because I do like helping people and I do, like, I am quite a compassionate person. So it might just become too much for me to take on. Yeah. They're all really valid questions and, you know, valid paths of inquiry and things to Mm -hmm. consider. And I think your healthy scepticism is is a good thing to to help you keep balance. I wonder what happened after you began to, well, after you had the diagnosis, did the Mm -hmm. symptoms subside or did you continue to get these visits I think the symptoms did subside because I was using some strategies around self-talk and you know breathing techniques and things like that they didn't go away though like there there are many many other many other moments where I have heard people's names you know just like someone's whispering it in my ear you know someone's name or you know, there there were a, was a an incident in London that that we spoke about prior to this that you know was something that I couldn't really ignore at the time. I thought that that's just so incredible. And, and I, I do want you to share that as well. But go on with with I, your thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, there's there have been times where I've woken up to like actually woken up and felt someone stroking my hair or um, I've felt, you know, pressure in my bed, you know, like almost like someone sitting down on my bed, mm-hmm. you know, and getting up. There are Those things are very, very real to me. You know, I've experienced those in my awakened state and I still see things in my when I'm asleep. But my sleep paralysis has really died down probably in the last maybe three to four three to four years the sleep paralysis has really subsided and I don't have any of those any of those seizures anymore there have been like maybe one instance like every gosh it would be rare where I would where I'd fall into that sleep paralysis and and have to do my because it's it's funny like you're you're asleep but you're like you're awake so you're saying like I would say things to myself like it's okay, Lisa, you know what this is. You're, you know, you're in sleep paralysis. Don't be afraid. Just wake up. Just wake up. And mm-hmm. so I, and I would be able to sort of come out of that. It takes time. Like it's not immediate. Yeah. It, the fear has really subsided, I would say. What about, so with the people that give you their names, do you receive or have you received a first name and, and a surname? And have you ever followed up to see if these people, what their story may be? 
Well, it's funny. I yeah, I do get I do get first and last names, and I always check Facebook. Like I just think I'm just gonna go on Facebook and see if this person, you know, is a real person, and or to see if if this person, you know, go and jump on Google, you know, see yeah. if anything sort of pops up. They're just they're just names, you know, like the the most recent name. And I mean, if I don't, should I say the name? I don't know if it's like I mean, it's no one's it's no one's name. It's just a name that came to me. Sure, say it. Darcy Hanley. I heard that name. I don't know if that if any listeners are. Well, but, maybe we can solve the mystery. <laughs> yeah, that, that name sort of came to me, and I feel that it was female. I know Darcy can be like a sort of a gender neutral name, but definitely felt that it was um a female Darcy Hanley and I just heard that one night when I was sitting on the couch and then I said it out loud and and I wrote it down because I thought what is that and I sort of looked looked a few things up on Facebook and nothing sort of ever sort of stands out as being significant or it's just just things that just come to me and I don't know what to do with them I never know what to do with them so I've yeah I've got lots of lots of names and lots of faces and yeah I just never never really know where to put them really. I guess the possibility exists as well that these are not contemporary people or do you believe that they are what what are your thoughts on that on the people that come to you can you see from their dress and I know that in this case with Darcy you just heard the name but Um, yeah can you see from their dress whether they are of our era or not? A lot of the times, so the times where I have sort of been talking to people, I haven't noticed anything that would symbolise a different time period or anything like that. But when I see faces, I suppose it's hard to tell. It's it's hard to acknowledge colouring as well, you know, with faces and things. Like it's all very, it's almost like, I don't know whether the word is ambient, like those sort of brown tones, yellows, like it's not... Yeah. Yeah, sepia. Yeah, it's not. They're not vivid. They're not kind of coming to me in all of their sort of vividness, and you know, they're just sort of coming to me in this kind of sepia tone. And they're they're there. You know, I, I might get a name, and then again, my resistance comes. You know, no, I'm sorry, no, can't help you. And then it's and then it's gone. So it's all very very quick and. But I, I did write down Darcy's name because it came to me when I was awake and it came to me when I was on the couch, whereas when you're asleep, these things tend to sort of, they tend to fade. So you question, was that the name or did that face have a beard? I remember it having a beard or it had a moustache and, you know, what colour were the eyes? And so it's all very hard to sort of, when you've dreamt it or when it's come to you when you're asleep, you're, yeah, I'm sort of less likely to actually write things down or acknowledge things but yeah this for Darcy I was yeah I was wide awake and that was probably the first time in a long time where I've recorded a name and had a bit of a look around so do you think you'll continue to do that record them if they come to you yeah look it's it always interests me because I just don't know whether it yeah like I, I think there's definitely an interest there to to have a look so I'll always sort of investigate but Again, it's just hard to know whether, you know, am I wasting my time? Is this is this worth sort of pursuing? What do I do with it if I do find something? Mm. You know, all of those questions rattle around a bit too. 
Yes, and they're worthwhile ones. But please tell us, Lisa, what happened in London? And I think it was six years ago. So you alluded to that little couple of minutes ago. Yeah. So my um, original, like the, the hypnagogia diagnosis came in 2008. And so I'd, you know, worked around strategies. And so this is quite a few years later. So this was back in 2013 when I travelled to London with my cousin. And um, we had a bit of an issue with with real estate agents in the first sort of couple of weeks we were there. And there was a an incident where we we had to be moved to a like to another unit in Paddington. So we went together and my cousin, she has always had sort of like she's she's a healthy skeptic as well as has that healthy skepticism as well. But she is a very sort of very similar to me, very sort of fearful and very very aware of her surroundings as well. So, you know, the two of us were together and um, and we were, we were absolutely fine. We were just going to this other unit and hoping that the real estate issue would sort itself out. As soon as we sort of walked into this building, it was a really old building in Paddington. I can't remember like what the actual building name was, but yeah, it was in Paddington. And, and as soon as I walked in, I felt there were, I felt unease. I was like, oh, okay, this doesn't kind of feel right but and I felt a lot of activity I don't know if that's the right word but I mean the place was empty but I just felt it felt like it was of another time and it felt like there was a lot of a lot of activity around me like like a like a buzzing almost like I just knew that there were there were things happening around and our unit was at the top of this complex. So I think it was like maybe four or five stories high, very old complex. And the lift could only take one person plus their luggage. So we went up separately, very scarily actually. And when I sort of, I came up and my cousin was already in the room and we didn't really actually talk about how we were feeling until later. So she was feeling similar things to what I was feeling, but we didn't actually bring it up. We, we just sort of thought, oh, okay, you know, we're in the room. So I got into the room, had a bit of a look around and was feeling very strange, mm. like very heightened, very strange, very like unwelcome is the word that, that I like to use, very unwelcome. There were things around like old hats and it felt, it felt lived in. It felt like there was – that we were – we were invading someone else's space in that moment. I, there were still things around that when you're moving into a unit that shouldn't be there, like people's belongings, like, you know, only a couple of things, but enough to make you think, has this room recently been vacated? Is this room still being cleaned out, you know, by its original owner or, you know, what's actually going on here? So, we didn't say anything to each other and I had a suitcase full of wet clothes because we'd tried to do some washing and anyway then we the incident happened with the real estate agency so I I ended up hanging all of our clothes just around the room and it was about at this point in time it was about maybe 8 30 9 o'clock at night and we, my cousin and I were sitting on the bed and we were strangely quiet like we were very like we were sort of trying to figure out what we were doing, you know, what, what we were going to do because we hadn't eaten all day either. And my cousin started saying things like, do you think we should sleep out here together? Because there was another room in the unit. And I sort of said, yeah, I think we should. And then she said, 
I'm not really sure if I feel comfortable going to the bathroom on my own. What are your thoughts? And I said, oh, let's just go for a walk to the bathroom and just scope it out. You know, maybe it's just it's just because we're, we're unfamiliar. And I think we were both feeling very similar things, like, the, you know, tightening of the chest, very, very unwelcome feelings. And I said, no, I don't think I'm going to feel comfortable going to the bathroom myself either. Like, we'll just have to you know, look after each other and, you know, it'll be okay. And then my cousin said to me, I think we need to go and get something to eat. And I got this, this, just this overwhelming feeling of you need to leave right now. And I thought, yeah. And I thought, uh, and I said to my cousin, I think that if we leave, we're not going to be able to come back. And again, we both, we both talk about this now and just we don't know where these thoughts came from. We don't know where the feelings came from. It was just this intrinsic sort of this this feeling that we that we both had. But I was sort of getting these messages of leave now. You are not welcome here. Get out. And I still had all of my clothes everywhere. And I said to my cousin, just just out of the blue, I said, I think that if we leave, we won't be able to come back. And if we leave our stuff in here. I think that we're going to find it in a very, like, basically I thought that there'd just be stuff everywhere when we got back. I just had this idea that someone someone or something was just going to terrorise the place as soon as we left because we'd brought, brought our stuff in and it wasn't welcome. So I just very, because I don't like to do anything fast and it, it, it annoys everyone <laughs> a lot, but I... <laughs> And to like if I'm panicking, I slow down. I don't go quicker. Like my fight or flight or freeze mode is to freeze. Yep, I'm a freezer so too. Is, yeah, so everyone else, you know, they like they would. My cousin was like, "Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up! We need to get out of here." And I was like, "No, I'm I'm just going to take my time. I'm going to make sure we've got everything." And I kept saying over and over again, "We're leaving. We are leaving." we're going, it's okay, we're leaving. So I was just re- like just repeating like it, we're, we need to go. And you were saying that out loud. Out loud, yeah. I was grabbing my stuff and my cousin had her stuff and she was just basically just beside herself at this point. She was like, come on, let's go, let's go. And she had her bag <clears throat> and um, was at the door and the key was like an old school, um, you know, one of those big silver keys that you might yeah. see in like Secret Garden, like that that film. It was one of those yeah. big keys. I remember just grabbing my bag and there were also just, there were just mirrors everywhere in this apartment, really strange old mirrors everywhere, like reflecting on every surface. And as I walked out the door, like as I went to pull it, it really slammed on me and then re- like opened again. And I was Ooh. like, oh. God. So, and my cousin by this stage was, she'd, she'd abandoned me and she'll be fine with me saying that because she did. She was halfway down the stairs, just absolutely running. And, and I was still upstairs and I, I felt this real need to lock the door. Like I just thought it's the right, first of all, it's the right thing to do because it's someone else's unit, obviously. And secondly, I just need to, I need to know that that door's closed. So, I had to actually go back in, step back inside the unit to grab the door handle and I pulled it closed again and my hand was just shaking like in the lock, just absolutely shaking. And basically there was this this last just this energy of just get 
out. I just just ran, and then my cousin's suitcase broke halfway down the stairs. We were just, it, we and we were only there for I would say all up maybe half an hour, 45 minutes, and we yeah. had nowhere else to go. We'd been in London for two weeks, like. We just had no idea what we were going to do. Like, we we just had nowhere to stay. The other unit that we had originally um, signed a lease for was we didn't have keys to that unit. Like, But we just knew for whatever reason that we, we couldn't stay. And I just I was just hearing all of these really just very strong get out. You're not welcome here. You need to leave right now. And I often wonder, we talk about what would have happened had we have stayed had we have kind of gone against our gut instinct and stayed for the night, like we, we can't even contemplate it. But oh, it was very real for both of us, that experience. It's extraordinary because, as you say, you really only talked about it in retrospect, about, you know, how you had shared the same feelings, but you didn't say it to each other. But yet the yeah. energy in there must have been so heavy. Yeah, really intense. Yeah, and um, I think we're both very conscious of not um, scaring each other, wanting to sort of heighten the the mood. We were already, you know, stressed and tired and hungry and we were just – but I don't think we could have avoided that situation. It was very intense. So where did you end up sleeping that night? We ended up – we just got in a taxi. Oh, another, another thing – my cousin, when we got in the taxi, we were, this is, so this was in January, so very cold in London at this time. And we got in the taxi and my cousin just started taking off layer after layer. She just, she was just like, I have to take everything off. And I was sort of in there, I was freezing, you know, I was so, so cold. And she's like, I, for whatever her reasons were, she said, I just cannot keep any of these layers on. And she took off about four layers it was like she was just shedding the experience. I don't know, but so I just have to get. I feel like so restricted and so yeah. So we we ended up in a taxi. We went back to our original our original room that we'd signed the lease for, and we decided that we would just the room the um, motel building had one of those buzzers on the door that you could like buzz, and we were hoping that if we just pressed someone else's room buzzer, that they might just on the off chance let us into the building even though we were complete strangers and no one knew who we were but we ended up buzzing someone and they were thankfully awake and we explained that we were we were people who were in room whatever it was I can't remember the number and the real estate agency had not given us a buzzer to get into the hotel and we we told them the story and thankfully they let us in for for the night oh, <laughs> so we ended up back back where we originally were but we were so thankful that someone let us in because we really didn't know what we were going to do to be honest we'd probably end up having to go to a hotel or something we were so unfamiliar with our surroundings at this point so yeah we were lucky oh what a story and so how long did you spend in London all up um I was in London for about I think I stayed in London for a good seven months and then did about two and a half to three months of travel through like the United Kingdom and Europe and then came back to Australia. And while you were in England, did you ever get a sense of deja vu or I'm thinking back to your memory, your dream slash memory of the lady? Yeah, like I think probably at least one incident, if not more, every single day I was there. 
day I was there, yep. Um, particularly when I went to like the Somerset region, you know, through Glastonbury, some of those little Irish villages as well, like just every twist and turn through the United Kingdom was deja vu for me. It was like it was like being home and I always say that to people um, you know, who asked me about, you know, traveling and things like that. Because I, I really enjoyed Europe, but it didn't feel homely. It felt very, it felt very foreign. And, you know, there were, you know, I, I experienced that as a tourist, but I feel like I experienced the United Kingdom as a, as a, as a coming home, yeah. almost like a, I've been here before, or, you know, I've definitely, I'm definitely familiar with these surroundings. Like there's so much here that just, gives me that again brought me back to that sense of like wonder and peace and you know like a a possible life before this and it was really it was a really nice feeling I would would have moved there in a heartbeat you know to some of those smaller like English towns or you know I just and I always get the the urgency to go back I'd love to go but I actually had a dream about being back in London or being back over there last night did you what did you dream yeah I just dreamt that that I was back there because I always think about going back and I always think about how great it would it would feel to get back to London because I really loved London but also just to uh, traveling around sort of England Scotland Ireland those places and I just had a dream last night that that I went back and I can't remember whether it was like for a wedding or for but there was a reason why I was back and I just remember that feeling of being so thankful that I was there and that I was really grateful that I had another chance to to experience it. But I was with other people. So okay. it wasn't just me on my own. There were there were I can't remember who the people were, but there were other people around me. And I just remember that this yeah, this feeling of being very grateful to be to be back again. Do you think you might ever move there or spend an extended period of time there? Um, I don't think I'll ever have the opportunity to move there again just because my um, fiancé is quite settled in we're living in, you know, remote outback Queensland. So I feel that, that this is where I'm, I'm going to spend, you know, my life. But I have spoken to him about my need to explore that area again and the possibility of he's very into to ancient culture and it's um it's funny that I once had a psychic tell me that I would end up with a man who um was was really into druids like druid culture like the ancient yeah and and my current partner really loves like one day he just said to me out of the blue I, I love druids. I think that's how you say it. D R U I D druids. Yeah, and um, and he loves like you know ancient sort of cultures, like European cultures and that kind of thing. That was really funny because um, there was a lot of other things attached to the person that she told me I would end up with that are completely not him at all. Right. But that that one detail um, that he just said out loud one day and I thought oh my god that's so funny that you that you say that because there was this one time and I told him the story so I I would hope that he would want to go go over there and explore but I don't think that's going to happen for a long time. Okay so I know that I I want to get to a a very interesting story that you told me about something somebody told you at a wedding. Oh yeah. yeah yeah but I think 
prior to that, I've made a note that around, I don't know, a, a year and a half or so ago, Lisa, you had, again, a, a moment of the sleep paralysis. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Tell us I, about what happened. It was probably about a year and a half ago, maybe even two years ago now. I'm just trying to think of when my – it was around the time where one of my best friends got married. I think it was about two years ago. And the, the sort of the sleep paralysis had started to creep back into my life, not – not with not with as much sort of rigor as what it had done, but there were just a couple of in, um, instances where I'd had the sleep paralysis and had the you know the the awake but asleep feeling and the searing pain in my head again. <clears throat> I I went through a couple of instances of that and I was starting to you know I spoke to my partner about it again and I sort of said oh I don't know what's going on here like whether um whether it's something that I need to, you know, sort of pay attention to or, you know, I was using those strategies again. But, yeah, I, I just hadn't experienced it for so long on a more consistent basis that it did sort of scare me. I thought, oh, here we go again. Yeah. But I actually – so I experienced a couple of instances where, you know, I, I, I spoke about before where I woke up to someone stroking my hair where there was a lot of pressure. I remember there being pressure – on the bed, and this wasn't just me, with me in the bed. My partner was also in the bed mm. beside me as well. And you know, I would say, like, can you feel that? Can you feel that there's that there's pressure on the on the base of the bed? Or he was just like, no, not I didn't feel anything. Or because you know, we were both sort of it was late at night. I don't know whether he was sort of half asleep or what. But so yeah. you could talk. You could talk in this moment. Well, this I wasn't. I wasn't in sleep paralysis at this oh, moment. This okay. was just, yeah, this was just an instance of I I can feel this pressure. I, I'm sensing that there's, you know, there's something happening. And I, and I spoke to my partner about it, but there were other instances during this time as well of sleep paralysis and, you know, um, hair stroking and, you know, names and people coming to me and things like that. And then mm. I went to, I'd, I'd sort of started to get quite, sort of not not overly stressed about it but it was definitely on my in my thoughts and I went to my friend's wedding and her hairdresser I she she's someone that has known me um throughout my childhood because I used to get my hair cut by her as well but I hadn't seen her for a really really long time and she just sort of came to me sort of in the latter hours of this wedding I say sort of closer to midnight we were sitting down and just sort of relaxing with with just a small group of people who were still at the wedding and yeah we started to talk and she for whatever reason I can't remember how the conversation actually started but she actually just sort of said to me basically something along the lines of like are you all right or you know what's been happening or she knew that something wasn't right she knew that I that I had something to say or you know how sometimes those people, they just know what to say to get you to sort of open up yes. or they're, they're very good at sensing when something's not right. And I sort of just said to her, oh, I've just been, you know, experiencing a few strange things lately, you know, and I didn't want to open up because, again, she was basically a stranger. So I thought, well, I'm not about to open up to a stranger about these odd things that have been happening because, you know, that's not going to sound, you know, like overly impressive I guess like she 
she sort of said to me again, it was one of those instances where she said, you do know that you've got, you've got this, this gift, don't you? So what on earth is she talking about? Like she's gotten, like, I've, I've not seen this woman since I was, you know, a, a, a child getting my hair cut by her. And then like, I moved away from um, my town when I was um, about 17 going to university and hadn't really seen a lot of her. But this woman had cut my grandparents' hair. She cut my friend's hair. Yeah, like she was associated with my my inner circle, but I hadn't had a lot to do with her. And, yeah, she just said, you know, you know that you've got this gift, don't you? And, you know, tell me about what's been happening. I was like, oh my God, you know, how, how would she know this? So I sort of just opened up and thought, oh, well, you know, what have I got to lose? Um, you know, <laughs> I'll just, I'll just you know, tell her a couple of things. And and she just, she was very good about the whole, because I told her I was very resistant. And she just said, you've got to, you've got to take control back. She's, she sort of said that I had lost control of the situation, that I wasn't being firm enough with these people who were coming to me. And that maybe because of my, my compassion or because of that you know, that compassionate energy that I have whereby, like I've spoken to you, Karina, about how it takes me three hours to do the shopping because people just want to talk to me. Like they, and they will open up about the most private personal things to me. And I don't ever ask for that, but it, it's what happens. And I'm not ungrateful for it, but it's definitely something that I've, I've recognized as, you know, it sort of sometimes it makes me not want to go to the shop, the shopping center because the energy that it takes to, to have all of that on board is incredible. Yeah, and she just said that you've got to be you've got to be more firm with how you deal with these people that you're sort of yes knowing. And I suppose it's I have been it's almost like I want to help but I I can't. I'm sorry. Like it it's not that I don't want to. It's just that no, like this is I'm not the right person, but I'm not convincing. And she said that like basically basically told me that I had to be to be firm and to say this is my time this is not your time I'm not to to be firm and say I'm I do not want this right now Mm -hmm. and she said that that I'm you know a lot of people use the term old soul but she said you're just one of those very old souls who who are very compassionate you're very and I've always been very aware of of people I'm a very good observer of people and I can read people really really well I always know what's going on before you know people actually allude to what's going on so you know I've, I feel like I'm always ahead of the game if that makes sense in terms of my social interaction so yeah it was it was really interesting to hear her speak and she had told me that she also had you know the the gift of I don't know what you would call it like she's not psychic, I get, like she doesn't make money from being a psychic or anything like that, but that she's very aware of the spirit world. Yeah, the spirit world mm-hmm. and um, and that she could recognise in me. And it was it was really interesting actually because my fiancé was, was sitting beside me when this conversation happened and he was blown away by it because he has experienced some of this with me and he, he understands that like it does scare me and that, it is something that does affect me in different ways. But, yeah, he was able to really understand. He saw out, like, the connection that we had just in this one moment whereby she recognised in me that I, like, that I was experiencing something. 
so in wonder of that. He was like, how did she know? And then it was funny when I walked away from that conversation, I could hear footsteps behind me. There was no one behind me. But I was walking back to my room, which was very close to where the, the reception was being held. And it was a like a bitumen path. And I could definitely hear someone and also intrinsically feel that someone was, was walking either alongside me or behind me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there was, there was no one. And when I went to sleep, I did have another instance of that sleep paralysis and and tried to be quite firm, you know, like took took what she said, had said into account and was, you know, I just sort of knew that something was coming and maybe she was there to help me with that. I'm not really sure, but it was interesting, out of the blue, unexpected, yeah. It is, it is fascinating. And since then, have you had, as you were quite firm in that moment, as the lady suggested, have you had more experiences since then? Well, you know, hearing the name Darcy, that that's come oh, yeah. since that was very recent. I have had <clears throat> I have had names and faces still still come to me in my dreams. I haven't had any instances of um, sleep paralysis. My fear has really subsided since that moment. You know, since the you know just just be firm. You know, that conversation I think really helped me in a way to just maybe acknowledge that that what was happening was real because I think the, my resistance and my scepticism probably didn't help in this instance because I didn't want to believe that it was real. I, I sort of, like I said, I hoped that there was another excuse or another reason as to why I was experiencing these things. But at the end of the day, I, I, I do experience them and I have experienced them and there's no other way <laughs> to really say it like it, except to just say it and I think that just to acknowledge that you know what it is it is really happening and for whatever reason whether it's connected to a spirit world or a different realm or whether it's health related it doesn't really matter at the end of the day like it is real and we sort of have to we have to figure out a way around it and also make connections through it because we, you don't know. You don't know what it is, you know, and if no one from the medical world can give you any answers and if their strategies, you know, are, I mean, to an extent they helped to maybe decrease the consistency of my experiences, but they certainly didn't cure what was going on. I just um, feel that if there is a, a spiritual reason for it, then maybe that's just as valid as a medical reason at the end of the day because if no one really knows then why why not you know why and why (laughs) so it seems like gently this resistance of yours that's been with you since childhood is Mm. kind of breaking down in a way ever so gently and slowly would that be accurate to say yeah I think it's it's definitely um it's definitely breaking my fear is breaking down around it I would say that I'm I'm still not certain about exploring it. I don't know what it would take for me to really to really want to go down that path. I'm not sure if that will come later in life. You know, maybe right now it just seems like, you know, another thing and that I may not be able to attribute time, the time that's necessary to, because I don't want to be sort of flimsy in my acknowledgement of it. You know, if I'm going to acknowledge that there's something going on or if I want to explore it, 
I really want to explore it. I don't want to, to do it in the five or ten minutes that I have at the end of the day or, you know, that sure. like I, I really want to give it time and I want to give it because I, I think there's a lot of people out there who are there for the wrong reasons doing this sort of work, oh, yes. whether it's yep. psychics oh, or mediums. Yeah, and, I, and I'm not really interested in gaining anything except for possibly some answers for myself and maybe even connecting, you know, and developing like relationships with other people who might need a response. Yes, so yes. that's really where my interest lies. I'm not, and, I, and if I'm going to go down that road in my life, it, it needs to be a, a genuine sort of, all right, I'm going to give this time rather than, yeah, just trying to tack it on to all of the things that I'm already doing. Because I am studying again this year. Mm. I am having a baby and I'm you know, in the midst of getting married and I'm, you know, there's a lot going on that I'm, you know, that, that takes my energy and directs it somewhere else. Yes. And I think it's, you know, incredibly honourable. I don't want that to sound sort of sanctimonious, but just, you know, it's, it's honourable that you want to give this the respect, the time, the, the headspace, the heart space that yeah. it deserves. So I think that's wonderful. And I, I think back to something that the lady told you at your wedding. She said, sorry, not your wedding, at the wedding. Yeah. She said, yeah. <laughs> hasn't happened yet. <laughs> she said, tell them this is your time. So yeah. there's almost a sense in that, that there may come a time, if you so decide, that it will be their time or, yeah. or time yeah. and their time together. But at the moment, as you were saying, there's so much happening. It is your time. Yeah, I do feel that there will be a time for this and I feel like that's why I'm reaching out now and why I do look for these stories and look for these people who, because I'm very open to, like I'm not one of those people who would shy away from someone talking about spirituality or or their dealings with spirits or that sort of thing in the real world. I will listen to any story. I love stories regardless of the topic. So I've listened to many, many stories myself of people who've had their own experiences and I find them really interesting. And, yeah, I think it's important that we give these stories time and that we don't, like, we do need to sort of get rid of the the taboo around, I think, these spiritual stories and, and get rid of the stigma and the that sort of that whole tagline of this is a bit crazy or this is a bit weird or, like, I think it, it just is what it is. It's an experience and, you know, if other people can connect with it and if and if it helps, you know, some people have really positive experiences and some people have negative experiences, but at the end of the day it is just an experience and it's important to share experiences and stories, I think. Oh, I couldn't agree more and you've just pretty much summed up why I, I do these podcasts, why I um, write the books that I've written and, you know, you, you've summed it up beautifully, Lisa. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. It's, you know, it's lovely to hear you talk. You're such a, you have such a considered and, and thoughtful and lovely way of sharing your stories and I'm sure that our listeners will take so much from this. You did say that you welcome feedback, you welcome okay. thoughts from others who might want to share with you, so I invite anybody who'd like to do that to get in touch with me through my website or my Facebook page and I'll pass anything on to Lisa. So so it's just been so lovely today, Lisa. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, Karina. Thank you for listening to Spirit Sisters, the podcast, based on my best-selling book of the same name. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and will join me again next time for another intriguing conversation exploring mysteries and marvels. In the meantime, 
please subscribe so that you won't miss an episode. I also welcome your feedback, so please message me through my website, karinamachado.com, or find me on Facebook at Karina Machado Author. Perhaps you have your own encounter to share. If so, I'd love to hear it. After all, there's nothing more powerful than a story. Thank you.